Unipiper and his nerdy friends. And his nerd friends. <laughs> Excuse me? What? All right, here we go. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Do you know what crime blacksmiths are most commonly get charged with? Iron deficiency. Forgery. Oh, boy. (laughs) I really walked into that one, didn't I? It seems so obvious on the outset. I love it. Oh, boy. I love the dad joke subreddit. It's great on... Yeah. They're always great. I someday I hope to one once again hear that theme song like in stereo and high fidelity instead of squashed <laughs> over a phone line and constantly changing tempo because it's trying to keep Catch up with up itself. itself. <laughs> but you are in you are you are off the grid. I yes, I, I'm in what what the locals call DHS, uh, Desert Hot Springs near Palm Springs. Oh, is that a different, like on the outskirts, or is that just just north away of Palm from, Springs? Just north. Is it a little like, city? It's yeah, it's a little. It's it's the um, it's the it's Reno the, to the Las Vegas. It's the Washougal to the Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> that is much better than my joke. <laughs> that puts things in, in much better perspective. It's I, pretty <laughs> accurate distance and everything. Like, like, so you're staying at a at a hotel right now? Yeah, it's got 24 hour pools, and and uh, so we nice. can all catch COVID all <laughs> all hours of the day. Well, you were down so, last time you were down there. You said it was it was basically like having the whole place to yourself. I'm assuming it's similar. It is not similar at all. Oh. Uh, so everybody's we're here. Sorry. Everybody's here. We have a balcony and we mostly don't interact with any other humans. So we right. uh, have a view of the pool and uh, air conditioning and all the things. So it's, it's right. Cool. I'm going to try to make on my face one of those cool oh. scars. Is that still, still doing have it? Oh. Yeah. It, you can see where I rubbed my forehead there a little bit. So, so is, is it a dermatologist I need to see? A, an allergist or what? Like what's... Yeah, derm- what do I do? I don't know how to use healthcare. I'm an yeah, American. That's true. Um, yeah, dermatologist. It they deal with your skin. This problem is your with your skin. Yeah, that's true. So let's start. Well, th- slow down. We'll I'm trying s- to write this down. We'll start. Derma means what? <laughs> we'll start there, and, and we'll uh, start there. Well, I was asking if you stayed in a, in a hotel because I I'm pretty sure we brought this up on the show before because I I have seen this documentary before, but. Uh, the the thing about Netflix is that when you watch a movie, it doesn't automatically take it off your my list or your save list or whatever. So like the twice a year I log into Netflix, I can't remember what I watched before. So I'll just start watching something again. And it's a documentary called Voyeur. And it's the story of this guy who bought a hotel and secretly rigged it. It had an arched or a, um, a gabled roof, I guess, with, with some attic space. And he made it so that he could spy on everyone's room and just watch people. He was a voyeur. And it's this guy himself telling his own story. And he's, he <sighs> views himself as, have you, have you not seen this? No, or, I haven't seen the, it yet. Oh shit. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, cause I watched it again cause it's so fascinating. And so it's the story of, of a, a journalist, um, a gay Talese, who is a, a famous writer for like the New Yorker and stuff like that. And who's also a character himself. He's like this 82 year old man who like dresses to the nines and these fancy cool suits and hats. And so he's a character in and of itself and his, his past uh, is quite colorful too. But, um, but then, yeah, this, this journalist interviews the guy who's is pretty sure the statute of limitations is up or what. And oh. so, but 
he the voyeur guy who always he wrote everything down about everyone and in his mind he's doing a sociology experiment he's like this is invaluable you get to see people you know unaware like and so he documents all that and refers to himself as the voyeur like in third person and he's super proud and like totally unaware about how creepy he was married twice and both of the wives were like in on it and he's still married to someone and so they talk to her and it is so wild and so good of a documentary so uh it's called voyeur and it's on netflix did kenny g ever stay at his place (laughs) (laughs) that would be that an amazing crossover kenny g i that that's I guess it just surprised me the most out of everything. So yeah, we I bring that up later in our interview, right before my my two jokes about TikTok <laughs> fall completely flat to the only two people who use TikTok. It's the sound of a hat. <laughs> so yeah, later at the end of our interview, when I make a, a joke about two TikTok things that I know with Dixie D'Amelio and the I, hype house. I, see, I don't think it's Dixie. I think it's... There's two of them. Oh. There's Dixie Delmelia and like there's another one, but I forget her name. And how oh, Dixie's yeah, the younger sister it, that's the number two star. Yeah. Yeah. It's the sound of a half inflated basketball being tossed <laughs> across the court, just Don't. thudding against the ground. <laughs> uh, but all the other, we're going to, there's a lot of uh, documentary talk, which I suppose is, is, par, is good for the guests that we'll have on later. But there's another documentary about Beanie Babies. I forget what it's called. It's also on Netflix. That's a really fascinating look back on the Beanie Baby craze and kind of the group of women, suburban women that started it. Uh, and so that one is is also just fast. It's always fascinating to me to look back at those cultural phenomenons, like in a deep dive way like that. Yeah. Because when you're in them, it just sort of washes over you. Yeah. Didn't basically that whole craze have a peak uh, it and was encapsulated best by that photo of the man and wife getting a divorce and separating out their beanie babies on the floor of the courtroom. I'm like, and well, you get this one, you get this one, yeah, I get this one. I'll that take- surpri- that picture surprisingly was not in there, which I'm what? kind of, I yeah, I can't believe that now. But they, they talk about how the, it all took off because the, what are the, how these women did it and the, the Thai corporation itself. It's yeah, it's really really fascinating. Um, also, much more fascinating than I ever expected. And I I started watching it as a joke because I do use your Netflix and HBO account, and so whenever I stumble in there, I always go to recently watched because you always watch pretty interesting things. And there is this reality show called like search, finding magic Mike or searching for magic Mike or something (laughs) like that. Finding magic Mike. The thumbnail, of course, were just like the magic Mike dancers. (laughs) They're all ripped and shredded. And so I texted you guys. I'm like, oh, brother, of course, you guys are watching beefcakes or whatever. And so I was busy doing something. I'm like, oh, I'll I'll watch this and then I'll make fun of them for how whatever. And it's the reality show of like, eight different or like all these different men that are trying out to be part of the magic Mike dance crew or whatever, to win the prize or whatever. And there's lots of like the standard beefcake guys, but then there's a couple like skinny guys or a guy that just like looks kind of like has a normal, but and like, so it's all of them doing, which is semi fascinating. But what I found most fascinating about it is there are very few, most of the, I'd say at least half, maybe more of the men trying out for the show were uh, straight men, which I found interesting. And all of them are kind of obviously in their, in their twenties because that's when people are ripped and can dance for magic Mike. But um, it was fascinating to me to watch this generation, even though it's this competition show, they're technically kind of competing against each other to get this one prize and stuff like that. But like, then they whittle it down to 10 guys and five guys and how supportive they all are of each other, how openly they're sharing emotions and being like, this is really because, you know, when you look at my childhood and like just very verbal about what they're like crying and hugging and like you- It's very authentic, yeah. And you, you almost never see- like cis straight men sharing emotions openly and and 
in any way, let alone on a reality show where it's all about, you know, competition and stuff like that. And so I found that show so fascinating and like wholesome and like it made me feel better. And like it was it was the weirdest thing. And like I watched all eight episodes like in one night or whatever. And <laughs> it was it was the weirdest thing since Kenny G that I found like oddly fascinating, mostly from that aspect of of what that representation is looking right. like on TV. And it's like a weird representation to like complain about because like straight men are not underrepresented <laughs> in media in general, but just that aspect of them, I found really, really interesting. So I'll skip my, I'll skip my question of when were the first fish kept as pets and was it before <laughs> glass because aquariums make you see fish. So like, would you have, have them as pets before that? I don't know. You just had a pond out in front. I guess. But that transitions into Leon, the supermarket lobster. Have you heard of him? No. So there's this random channel on on YouTube, and I don't know what he does for normal, but it's like this older, like he's in his 60s or so, and he must do something with tropical fish because he has lots of setups and knows a lot about it. But he was in the grocery store one day and decided to take home one of the lobsters and see if he could like keep it alive. And so he took it home and kept it alive and then changed tank and there's two follow-ups to like where's lee on the lobster now and like him changing tanks and growing and like lobsters are so weird because there's just lots of little close-ups of like just leon hanging out and doing stuff and i didn't really realize that their front four legs also have little pincer claws on them and there's all just the gills on everything that are all flapping around and like all these crazy appendages and like i've never just like spent time up close (laughs) looking at a lobster but they are so weird but yeah there's about three videos that are maybe 10 minutes long uh the story of leon the lobster as he gets rescued from the grocery store and rehabilitated in some guy's uh tank so check that out that's on youtube so i I will that's on my list now i'm learning yeah a bunch of documentaries on my list today I know. Oh, so you can now clearly see it's been there for a while. The the mark I gave myself by <laughs> lightly scratching my skin. Uh, that looks kind of cool, though. Yeah. I did the thing, the scar that starts up at the top of the forehead and goes down past your eye that yeah. people often have in movies to show that they're badass. Perfect. <laughs> so keep that in mind. All right. Do you want to start us off? Well, why don't I start off with this one? Um, okay. The world's smallest park returns to NATO Parkway. Though it was closed and demolished last year during road construction, the world's smallest park is now back. The city announced uh, the park's reopening, which is called Mill Ends, not Mill's End, like I right. always thought. That uh, They also covered this on Fun Employment a couple days ago, so this will be a rerun to anyone listening to them. Um, but it is the perm- they closed it because they wanted to make a permanent two-way bikeway and sidewalk along the uh, West Waterfront Park. So it's a total area of 452 square inches, and it holds the distinction of being the world's smallest park from Guinness Book of World Records since 1971. The park's name comes from the late Oregon Journal newspaper columnist Dick Fagan, who had a column called Mill Ends, so named for the odd bits of uh, paper among lumber mill scrap. Oh, that's interesting. Mill Ends. Oh, there you go. It's the ends of the things that are milled. Mill Ends. Yes. <laughs> Is that something everyone knows that I'm just finding out right now? <laughs> I'm the element of discovery once again on this show where everyone knows the thing that they're telling me. <laughs> Uh, so blah, 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 it goes on. There's all these weird r- little park stories about uh, um, leprechauns and stuff like that. But blah, blah, blah. Everyone celebrate Mill Ends Park is back. So, it's back. Yes. This next is, and you can take it, a follow-up to a story we've had on the, the Mark and Toddcast before. Beast versus Beast, a Portland restaurateur blocks an NFL star. So in... September, you'll remember that BPM Real Estate Group said the restaurant Beast by Marshawn Lynch and Comet. <laughs> Comet. I must have read the story last time because I remember struggling with however you say that. Kamaina. Kamaina. have a Hawaiian name. Uh, had taken a long-term lease of Broadway Tower with plans to open later in the year. It was 
an apparent play on Lynch's Beast Mode nickname, but Portlanders recognized the name from another place. Chef Naomi Pomeroy had opened a restaurant called Beast in Portland years earlier, though it closed in the pandemic. Now Lynch's Broadway Tower restaurant goes by the name Bistro. Uh, Which is a much better name, I think, than Beast anyway. Yeah. Uh, state business records also listed as Bistro by Marshawn Lynch. The spot, labeled as Hawaiian Cuisine and Sports-themed Restaurant, is located at 1455 Southwest Broadway, and it opens at 6.30 a.m. daily. Oh, wow. They do breakfast at the Bistro. Yeah, I was glad they were able to come to a, come to an agreement uh, over that story. Well, Growing Belushi, a, a little docu-series about Jim Belushi's Oregon cannabis, uh, cannabis farm, uh, is going to be coming back after a first season. Uh, it returns for season two, blah, blah, blah. Um, it will follow Belushi and his team as they go on a mission to rebrand and rebuild their cannabis farm from small and boutique to a premium high end for the masses. Uh, it debuted in 2020, although many in Oregon were already aware of Belushi's cannabis farm um, in the Rogue Valley because an earlier TV series, who knew this guy has so many TV series? An earlier TV series, Building Belushi, aired in 2015 on uh, some network, and that was about his the construction of his house in Oregon's Rogue River. So, yeah, that, I always keep you up on the Belushi news. Belushi news. You uh, personally met the man. <laughs> I did, and uh, Brian and I went up uh, to a dispensary that his marijuana strain was being sold at and uh, met him there and had him sign our uh, our VHS copy of um, Homer and Eddie Homer and Eddie which he he relished in it was it was pretty great <laughs> uh, oral CBD prevented COVID-19 infection in real world patients study suggests so cannibal cannabidiol the non-psychiatric cannabis compound better known as cbd is a potent blocker of the sars cov 2 replication in human cells a new study has shown not only that but a survey of real world patients taking prescribed cbd found a significant negative relationship between cbd consumption and covid 19 infection so it's a negative relationship is non-prescripting better than a blocker yeah so there is it but they I would I would believe that means it makes it more fewer fewer positives fewer positive COVID infections in oh, people who consume CBD. Found a significant negative relationship between CBD consumption and COVID nineteen infections. So yeah, yeah. So the more CBD you took, the less the the COVID <laughs> the less COVID you have, the less COVID you get. So as uh, detailed in this paper paper published on Thursday. Uh, in the journal Science Advances. Um, My favorite journal. Yeah, taking uh, patients taking prescribed CBD found that taking 100 milligrams per milliliter oral doses of CBD returned positive COVID-19 test results. Um, positive benefits in the test results, not positive results. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I... Yeah. I, I as a bottom line, what this says is that CBD has the potential to prevent infections, such as break, breakthrough infections, which might be the one most useful application. So is there, like, this is obviously talking about CBD, which is usually in the candies or stuff, and is the non-high the non -high thing or right. whatever um, in marijuana. Does regular marijuana then, like, that you would smoke or use in edibles also have CBD, or it just depends on the strain? Depends on the mix. Uh, so when you go, a, go to a dispensary, it'll say how much THC and how much CBD. And so you can have okay. a blend that's a hybrid of both or mostly CBD with a little bit of THC or no THC. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. And it, it, yeah, I was hoping it would find that all marijuana, 
all marijuana matters, but so far, apparently only the CBD, which Just the CBD. So I will continue to hold my proverbial breath full of, full of marijuana smoke, hoping <laughs> that there's also a relation to that. Uh, well, the Federal Reserve is taking the next step towards possibly launching a digital dollar. The central bank is asking the public to provide feedback on the question over the next 120 days. As it said in an event, it would only seek to create a digital currency with, quote, a with, quote, clear support from both the executive branch and concert and Congress, excuse me, Lael Brainerd, as my favorite name ever, L-A-E-L, Lael Brainerd, a member of the central bank's board of governors was recently nominated by Biden to be a fed feds. Number two official has signed, has signaled more interest. China adopted its own central bank digital currency last year and an opportunity to extend benefits to lower income Americans who struggle to access the financial system. This is the part that I didn't really understand is how it extends benefits to lower income Americans who struggle to access the financial system. Um, advocates of the digital dollar focused on its potential to get cash quickly to Americans in financial straits who lack bank accounts and a need highlighted by the challenge federal government faced distributing relief money during the pandemic. So I guess they would just email you money issue, then? <laughs> issue it to your MetaMask connected to your OpenSea account so that you can download. Boy, that sounds like we are removing one complication by adding 10 others but um but i i see what they're saying like you won't need a bank account but right. you you need for, a for instance more. like if you are uh uh um houseless is that the term i we're supposed to use houseless a person, person a person experiencing homelessness experience ah, there's gotta we gotta shrink that down that's that's when you rewrite that you get to the end of a sentence and you're like i'm gonna have to rewrite this <laughs> <laughs> to do but yeah i mean having a bank account or but then also having access to a phone a digital phone like all of this stuff is such a barrier that i'm glad we're at least trying to think of ways to because like a stimulus check goes out and if you don't have a permanent address or you don't have a bank account then you can't participate in the things that uh other other people can so i'll take this one about uh which is another kind of follow-up uh, to something we've been following closely on the Mark and Todd cast, Havana syndrome is unlikely to be caused by US foes. So this was the thing, uh, what they're calling Havana syndrome, which they were thought might have to do with some sort of um, sound waves that they're pumping. We've talked about it a couple of times, like, um, and I forget what the what the term for the auditory weapons or whatever mm. is, but a debilitating mysterious medical ammo known as Havana syndrome has struck, um, was unlikely caused by attacks from Russia, says the CIA. Instead, the agency concluded that other medical conditions, stress, or unexplained factors could be behind the ailments reported uh, in roughly a thousand personnel. Uh, Havana syndrome is a set of unexplained medical symptoms, including headaches, dizziness, fatigue, nausea, anxiety, cognitive difficulties, first experienced by U.S. State Department personnel stationed in Cuba in late 2016, which was interesting. This was interesting to me because I, I figured it was kind of like um, fibromyalgia, where we've known about it forever, but we're just getting But this is weird that it's so located in late 2016 in this one place yeah. in Cuba. Um, many of us who have fallen ill have long complained that the government hasn't taken their medical issues seriously. Uh, the report, which no matter how you dress it up, pretty much shuts the door on an active effort to attribute these in uh, incidents, says Tim Burgreen, advisor for the advocacy for victims of Havana syndrome. So U.S. personnel in China, Taiwan, Austria, Poland, Georgia, and Russia have reported symptoms as well. Last fall, the CIA evacuated an intelligence officer serving in Serbia who suffered serious illness consistent with Havana syndrome. Uh, in the U.S., at least two American citizens had been affected. Oh, wait, excuse me. Two uh, in uh, Bogota, Colombia as well earlier this month in Geneva and Paris said that they had been struck by, quote, a possible anomalous health incident. Uh, which is the U.S. government's formal name for Havana syndrome. Um, so this is really weird. And this kind of recaps in late 2020, 
they identified, quote, directed pulsed radio frequency energy, RF energy, as the most likely cause of symptoms contributing to fears at a foreign actor. But it sounds like they have ruled that out. So very strange and very, very interesting that that they're Hmm. so able to localize where it's coming from and that it's so different than someone else just having stress or or something like that. So interesting. Yeah. That's really fascinating. After COVID, we're all going to get Havana syndrome. No. (laughs) (laughs) You heard Uh, it here first. Mark says no to Havana syndrome. (laughs) Um, So the U S justice, Justice Department slams the city for failing to notify them about Portland police presentation slides. Are so you familiar with this? Did you see the story? I, I saw the story. I recall seeing a clip of one of the slides, but basically yeah. what we're showing is that um, the Portland Police Bureau has in, infused throughout their department, including their training <laughs> to, you know, tutorials and, and, uh, and, presentations you know the powerpoint presentations include uh like racist rhetoric and and other violence like happen yeah so it and if you're interested you can look up and i left that part of it you know the details of that out but yeah there's a slide that was like kill the hippies and bash them in the face and hooray for violence or whatever it said (laughs) they're just keeping it light um have you done this yet? Uh, Todd, uh, we're now able to order free at-home COVID tests. I did. I was able to get one through uh, the mail, uh, through, or through the USPS is, is who I... Yep. And originally I thought we would be... <laughs> oh, dear. COVID. <clears throat> I'm having Havana syndrome suddenly. <laughs> Oofed up. Um, that we would be able to get limitless ones, but maybe that's like over a period of time because we were, I was limited to getting four individual tests, two packs of two. That's, that's, uh, same here. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I, I will take this next one because it's scientists think, okay, this is from vice magazine and I did not change all the language. So I, sorry, Todd's mom. uh, Yes. Sorry, Todd's mom and dad and to anyone else with the ears right now, scientists think warm balls could be the next male birth control. Um, researchers previously experimented in 2013 study with injecting mice balls with modified gold nano rods and near infrared radiation, uh, to warm up that region to see if it had an effect on reproduction and sperm count and stuff like that. Well, thankfully we don't do that anymore. And this time they used magnetic iron oxide nanoparticles, uh, which the body can eliminate eventually over time and injected them into a mice's veins and then placed a magnet next to their gonads for four hours to attract particle there. So blah, 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 that um, resulted in them warming up. And it did uh, it did end up with lowering the mice's sperm counts, but when they no longer did whatever it was doing with the magnets to warm up that region, the sperm count went back up. So the the baseline of this, why I think it's an interesting and important thing is that right now there is like one thing for male birth control. Right. And that's our option where it was, this is non-evasive or invasive and it is completely reversible and safe if there's a way to transfer this to humans, which I think would be a great step forward into providing more birth control to more people and giving men a few more options for for different birth control. So run out and get those nanoparticles injected in your, in your balls now (laughs) for your birth control. And in a first U S surgeons transplant a pig heart into a human patient. So didn't you think this happened like a lot, like in the eighties, I like this was such a big deal. And I was like, how maybe it just seems like something that we've heard before, but I guess not. Um, yeah, so it marks a step in the decades-long quest to one day use animal organs for life-saving transplants. Doctors at the University of Maryland Medical Center say the transplant showed that a heart from a genetically modified animal can function in the human body without immediate rejection. So the patient, David Bennett, a 57-year-old Maryland handyman, knew that there was no guarantee the experiment would work, but 
he was dying, ineligible for a human heart transplant, and had no other option. Uh, it's either I die or do this transplant. I want to live. I know it's a shot in the dark, but it's a, it's my last choice. Bennett was was breathing on his own while still connected to a heart-lung machine to help his new heart. The next few weeks will be critical as Bennett recovers from the surgery and doctors carefully monitor how this heart is faring. And I believe it's been more than a week since I pulled this article, so I haven't I haven't heard any updates, so I'm hoping that means uh, it's going well. But yeah, human, a pig heart. What a, what a time for this guy to be alive. Um, well, we'll end with some fantastic news that we've all been waiting for. And that is after more than 70 years, the FDA is dropping its regulation for French dressing. When the standard of identity was established in 1950, French dressing was one of three types of dressings we identified at FDA uh, in the final ruling posted in the Federal Register on Thursday. Uh, The two other types of dressing were mayonnaise and just, quote, salad dressing, which is probably some oil-based something or other. Um, French dressing is the only pourable dressing required to adhere to standards that require it to contain oil, acidifying ingredients, and seasoning. Uh, Other breads, including bread, jam, and juices, have their own standards of identity. When it came to French dressing, many consumers expect red or red-orange color and tomato or tomato-derived elements, none of which are required under those standards. Hmm. <laughs> the my favorite association, the Association for Dressing and Sauces, which was founded in 1926, petitioned for standards to be revoked in 1998, citing the explosion in varieties of salad dressings available from ranch to cheese to peppercorn to Italian. French dressing is no longer a baseline for other dressings and has become marginalized. Oh. Uh, quote, I'm, I'm guessing that they're wishing they rephrased in 1998 to say that they are a marginalized dressing. <laughs> in December 2020, the FDA proposed revoking the standard in the name of flexibility and innovation. French's dressing standards of identity was not honest or fair, according to the FDA's final rule. There are a wide variety of French-style dressings on the market, and these will continue to be available based on consumer demand, the Industry Association wrote. The final rule, which will go into effect on February 14, won't require makers to change their manufacturing processes. So finally, some good news. As we talk about in our in our in our interview coming up, the future the future is always better than the past. Just ask the people who are in charge of the Association for Dressing and Sauces and their view on French dressing. So that's awesome. Cool, um, cool. Yeah. So um, we will. I'll do a little intro of. Uh, uh, we're speaking with Kyle Kyle Richard McCarthy, and uh, he's a guy that. I literally have stumbled upon on uh, TikTok and became a fan and kind of dug in a little bit deeper, reached out to him and, and he's graciously come on the show today. So I look yeah, forward to he's that. Great. It was a, a fun interview and, and he was great to talk to. Cool. Anything else? I don't think so. That's everything. I'd say, once again, tossing that half-inflated basketball back to no one. Perfect. Enjoy our interview. Well, our guest today is Kyle Richard McCarthy. Uh, He's an artist from Long Beach, New York, an an award-winning filmmaker, music video director, musician, photographer, mentor of NFTs, and, of course, a rising TikTok uh, creator who has published more than 500 TikTok videos that have received almost a million likes. Let's listen into one of the TikToks. I feel like we're about to enter into a golden age of the personal documentary. To know me is to know that I love documentaries. I can go on for hours about how Mind in the Gap is a perfect film, but that's for another day. However, it is a great example of a filmmaker putting themselves into their own work and doing it right. And I think while these types of documentaries are beginning to be in high demand, this next decade will be an even greater one for personal storytelling. In large part because we're already doing the hard work of collecting footage. Every day, millions of people are documenting their lives, unaware that they're their own documentarians, and that the footage may help to tell a story they don't even realize they are a part of. As someone who's made a personal documentary, I know firsthand that the story you plan to tell and the one you end up telling are always different. That's the beautiful thing about documentaries and what draws us to them. 
Timberwolves. Well, hello and welcome, Kyle. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. You bet. Um, so I recently discovered you on TikTok is why we're having this this conversation. And it looks like you've been making films of various sorts for quite a while. Um, uh, did you always want to be a filmmaker? Yeah. You know, I've always um, been passionate about film and since being like a teenager making skate videos and stuff like that. But it actually wasn't until Hurricane Sandy that I really like got serious about filmmaking um, because the house I was living in at the time, uh, there was like five feet of water through the house on the night of Sandy. So the next day I woke up, um, saw my house in like this crazy disarray and I I had my uh, camera with me and it became this kind of like documenting the kind of surrealness of Sandy, like made it easier to process it kind of. Um, and I always, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I was always scared to do it. And, um, I, I decided after that, I'm like, you know, <laughs> life is too short to not do what you're passionate about. So I think that's a turning point where I started to really get serious about film. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, I would describe your, the, the TikTok videos that you make, uh, the style is, uh, contemplative or dreamy abstract. Uh, you do an animated blend of mixed media with, uh, music and sometimes a narration. Um, how has your art evolved, uh, over, over time to get to that TikTok look that you've got going? Yeah, it's kind of funny how it in being on TikTok over the last couple of months, I've kind of found what my voice is on there just through a lot of like trial and error. Um, I think I like, I feel like on TikTok, everyone's like vying for your attention. It's like so rapid, like pay attention to me, pay attention <laughs> that I, I kind of like doing it the opposite approach where I, I'm trying to be as calm as possible and be kind of a calm force on there or something different to that. Um, I started doing mixed media in my work when the pandemic began, I, I, I've always loved making short films. And when the pandemic began, I couldn't go out and make shorts um, with you know friends and people. So I, I decided to start making these kind of weird little animations, um, kind of like developing my own style of it, not kind of doing it with the traditional like After Effects or different different animation programs, but working with Final Cut and just making taking old magazines and uh like changing them into like these weird 2d animations so i found that my blend of storytelling and mixed media if i put them together that's kind of like my my secret weapon and what does the best on tiktok yeah yeah um how long have you been on tiktok i've been on tiktok for uh i think like I want to say like six or seven months, maybe. Oh, wow. So uh, you're pretty new then. Yeah, it, it happened really quick. The, the uh, Like with each month, the followers kind of doubled and doubled to where like I had a couple of videos that did really well and it it kind of broke me into like. I so were you were you doing like YouTube or were you doing anything before that? Or is TikTok kind of the first place that you put out some of this stuff? No, yeah, I've um, I've always made shorts and put them on Vimeo. That's always been my place to, to make stuff. And I always felt like that's where, you know, the real filmmakers are and making short films and documentaries. They're putting their stuff on Vimeo. And I like would, would go about this way of making like one short a year or one or two short films, release it on Vimeo, hopefully get it picked up by different websites or get into some film festivals. And that was kind of the approach I did. But I think with TikTok, it's just a, a nice new avenue of like being able to show your work, but also like there's your people are interested in the conversation around your work, like what inspires mm-hmm. you to make the stuff you make. So. Yeah. And with the added layer of COVID, has that affected your process like as a as a storyteller, as a as a creative, uh, you know, obviously lockdown has isolated us uh has that greatly affected the story being told or how it's being told maybe um more or less authentic uh with that yeah i think covid has made my work um i lean in i get more and more personal because of it because i feel like we're living such through such a strange and like surreal time that 
if we're not being like honest and open with each other about how we're feeling, like what's the point of making art, you know? <laughs> totally. like, and so I actually, one of my videos that did really well on TikTok was about me talking about, I made this short film called cutouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I shot it during the pandemic and, uh, the whole, I, the video that did well on TikTok was about what inspired the film. And what happened was, um, a cousin of mine passed away a couple of years ago and his parents bought a cutout of him for the, you know, how during the 2020 season of major league baseball, they had like cutouts in the stands. Mm-hmm. So they, they had a cutout of him in, um, a Mets game. And then somehow after the game, the cutout ended up at my parents' house. And one day I was just going through storage there and found this cutout of my cousin. And it was like this really weird, surreal thing. I thought of like about what if I made a short film where like a guy spends a night just riding around on his bike, holding a cutout of a a friend of his that passed away. And so like I got my one friend of mine to be the lead of it. And I played the cutout (laughs) and got a cutout of me. And we shot this all in like, you know, um, over a couple of different nights. And the the film itself got like, you know, maybe a thousand plays when it came out. But then when I put on TikTok, the story of it, it, right now it has like over half a million plays. <laughs> wow. So it like it's it's really cool that like that is fascinating to me because I don't use uh TikTok. I get all my TikToks via Mark when he messages <laughs> to me or or my old man TikTok compilations that I watch on YouTube because <laughs> I'm a boomer. Um, but it's fascinating to me how I mean it, it can happen on YouTube as well, but like how quickly someone can go from like being a complete non-entity that nobody knows like you don't have a built-in audience coming with you to kind of what's happening to you right now and how quickly that can happen because i mean we're mark and i are old enough that like you do things for 10 years to build your and then you do that and then you go to the next level and it's just it's a fact fascinating democratization of of how things get around yeah you know i think about that a lot because I, I have been doing this for like 10 years, you know, putting my like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours into my yeah, craft. Yeah. And so I think I've actually TikTok came at the perfect moment for me. And I've noticed this happens with like a lot of creators who have been doing it for a while or just like super crazy talented teens. <laughs> like there's like the in between you have to have to be doing it a long time or just really crazy yeah. talented. <laughs> and th- those kind of creators do well on the platform because like, I've been waiting for this opportunity, you know, yeah, that's awesome. in that time and now it's, yeah, it's here. It's pretty cool. Wow. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I watched one of your videos where you're talking about like every single video that you make, it, it, it has the potential of going viral. And so does that affect you while you're making stuff that normally might just be put out to your friends or, you know, just, just kind of off the cuff, but now you have this weight of, well, if, if 5 million people see this, then is there, is there challenges in that? Yeah, there is. I mean, I, I think about this a lot too, is that I feel like TikTok gives everyone the opportunity to go viral or to be famous for a short moment of time. (laughs) And it's a weird thing to do to people's psyche. Like, like that, that overwhelming uh, response to something you make. And mm-hmm. it, it can be overwhelming. Like I, I've had a couple of videos where, you know, you get like thousands of pounds, thousands of notifications about your video over like a couple of weeks. And it's, it's kind of overwhelming and you don't know how to respond to it. Cause you know, you go from being somewhat ob- obscure or doing your own small niche thing to somehow have an audience out of nowhere. Yeah. And, I've seen like a couple of creators that I really liked and became friends with on the platform just kind of disappear after that happens to them. And I think it's like, it, it could be a bit too much sometimes. For sure. So I, I want to always kind of keep that like feeling of I'm a small creator and I want to encourage other small creators. Like we shouldn't pay attention to that. Like the reason we make art shouldn't be to go viral that cause it's not going to actually make you happy in the end. <laughs> like, right. It's always, it's, it becomes a number that you try to do better and better at and, like, what's the point? Like, right. You know, I have, I have one video of mine that's about to, it's near like a million plays and it's like, well, well once it gets a million plays, then like, that's that bar for me. Like, you know, sure. I, I'm gauging everything based on that video and it's kind of silly, you know, I shouldn't be making art to 
you know, for statistics. It should be for, for <laughs> right, passion. Right. Well, and I did, Mark said I was coming in totally blind uh, to this, but I'm not. He shared a couple of, of your videos <laughs> with me. And I, as I'm recalling them now and, and kind of listening to your description of what of what you do, it's kind of a, a weird way to describe your videos, but I, I felt them calmly electric, if that makes <laughs> sense. Like your voice is very calming and the stories I feel like are, are very much worth listening to and investing in. But like you said, that your animation style and the way you put things together, they're never like a dulling sensation or, you know what I mean? There's, there is a vibrancy to it, but it's not, it's not what you think when you think TikTok, you know, attention yeah. or whatever like that. So I, I appreciated the, because I did, I did walk away feeling like calmed and like, Oh, this world is going to be a better place, and 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 it was. It's it's kind of a nice thing, especially being outside the TikTok world and not not knowing too much of the nuts and bolts of how it works. That there is content there that not only is kind of counter programming to what we all think TikTok is, but that it also is successful, which is which is good. So, thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, do you- my whole goal. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Do you find your um, your editing or your storytelling style or writing shifts as you think about content for TikTok versus a, a longer format? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think with short films, you know, there it's so um, long form. Like in the sense of like when I would make a short film, I would throw a whole year of my life into work on it every night, slowly building on it and like not releasing it till I felt it was perfect and how it needed to be. And I think with TikTok, because it's like, it's so, you have to constantly be making stuff for it. Yeah. Um, and like feeding that, it, if it does change how I edit, because sometimes, you know, to be honest, also like I'll make something where I spent a lot of time on it and put it out there and it gets like a couple hundred plays and like, Ah oh, man, like that's a bummer. And then I'll put something together where I'm literally taking things I've already made and maybe adding a different narration and, and it can blow up. And it's like, it, it's kind of- I, I heard, um, this is something, I, I don't know who the originator was, but I, they were in the context of pop music and writing songs where, where it was another successful songwriter. And they're like, my advice to anyone writing a song is don't write a song that you don't want to sing for the rest of your life <laughs> because the song that you love to sing no one is going to care about, but that stupid thing you whip together to make someone else happy. That's the thing you will be known for forever. So be careful <laughs> what you put out there if you don't. So yeah, long and short, it's like you have to be invested enough and not just, you never know what's going to take off and, and what you're going to, what's going to hit. Yeah. It's it, it could be exciting and, and also like stressful at the same time because it's like it feels there is like a casino aspect to it where like you know if you play enough at a casino you're gonna hit at some point <laughs> um, and but at the end of the day I, I do want to get to a place where I'm making art not to be aware of that or like trying it, it just make it, I love the idea what I love about TikTok is that I have like. A potential audience for my work and that's really cool and i want to like take advantage of that and make cool stuff nice nice um you've got a uh, a tiktok video uh called letter from the future uh i'm gonna play that and then we can talk about uh the content of that so okay cool. cool the future reshape my perspective on life so the day after her I'm going to replay that because I <laughs> clipped the beginning. That's how, how a letter from the future reshaped my perspective on life. So the day after Hurricane Sandy, everything on the first floor of the home I grew up in was basically destroyed. My mom had this big hope chest, though, that was filled with old photographs and drawings. And she had a really hard time just letting go of all those things. So she was going through all the papers and she found a letter that my friend Ronnie wrote to me when we were kids. It was a letter from a school assignment where we had to write to a friend from the future. What was so strange about this letter though was that Ronnie passed away when we were 16. So this letter was written from a future that Ronnie never got to experience. And in reading the letter, I found a sentence that stuck with me for the rest of my life through every challenge I faced. Ronnie wrote, the future is better than the old days. It's been 17 years since Ronnie passed away. 
but not a day goes by that I don't think of him. The future is better than the old days. Through Sandy, through COVID, through all these challenges that life throws, having that with me makes everything feel a little bit easier. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's great. Well, and it is, um, especially I, I do think, and, and as, as I don't think I've become cynical, but as depressing as things can be sometimes and wondering like, when are we going to make it out of the fog? I do. That is something that I do always remind myself is like the past sucks. The future will be better. <laughs> Getting there isn't always the best, but in the long run, the future is better in almost every aspect, just because we learn more, we grow more, we know more, like all of that stuff. And it's such a powerful reminder, I think, because it's so easy, especially now that for four decades, all of our nostalgia has just been fed and marketed to us. Like the old days, the old days, remember the old days, the old days. And it's like, yeah, but we're forgetting everything that sucked about them. Like, <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's great. Thank you. Uh, so there's a project that you are doing uh, related to this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The art project? Yes. Yeah. So um, I've, I, this, this saying that future is better than the old days that Ronnie wrote in this letter has always stuck with me and I've wanted to do something with it. Um, and recently I decided to quit drinking. I, um, almost like three months of, of not drinking alcohol. Oh, great. Congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. And, um, I, I found that with drinking, I use it to kind of cope with anxiety or, you know, or like it's something that if I was feeling stressed out or anxious, you know, a glass of wine was the solution to that. And, and I, I found through COVID actually that as I got to a point where like, the, when I felt really overwhelmed in COVID is when I started to run in the morning. I started and, and in running kind of made me realize that like doing something healthy for myself uh, actually helped my anxiety, whereas drinking didn't actually do that. And so when I quit drinking, I wanted to celebrate it by um, getting a mug made. And I had my wife design uh, a mug with the saying, the future is better than the old days that Ronnie had said to me. And it's my favorite mug now to drink tea out of. Um, so I decided I want to start a project where I ask different artists to take that saying, the future is better than the old days, and create a uh, coffee mug designed for it. And then um, we're going to sell it, and 50% of the proceeds will go back to the artist, because I want this to be something where we support art artists and what they do. And then 50% will go to different nonprofits in mental health, uh, addiction, recovery, and uh, suicide prevention. Um, and that's that's the goal. You know? That's great. And I've yeah. been uh, this, this, this year, I just did 11 years sober. So uh, that is awesome. <laughs> a great thing that you're doing. And I wish you success in that. And it's awesome that you're wanting to give that gift to other people as well. So congratulations for that. Uh, that's cool. That's cool to hear. I, yeah, man, that's something that I try to be really open in my videos about because I think a lot of people like struggle silently. And, and then like, yeah. I like, I think I lived in like a gray zone for a long time, you know, where it's like, yeah, it, it didn't hit rock bottom. It, it was more of a, <laughs> like a steady, like, totally, totally. It's I, like, I, I didn't find myself like uh, awakening at the side of a highway and not know how yeah. to get there, but that didn't mean things weren't terrible all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, it feels great to be good. Over. That's I'm great. Congratulations. Thank you. So what would you say off the top of your head? And this is uh, a light, more of a lightning round is that, that we're going to hold you to this. But <laughs> like off the top of your head, what are some of your favorite documentaries? Yeah. So right off the bat, what comes to mind, because I you know did a, a video about it recently is Mind in the Gap. Tell me more about that because you mentioned that earlier and I wrote it down already, but what, give me a, I haven't heard of that because I'm a huge oh, documentary man. fan. You, you got to watch it. So it's long story short is that um, it's a film about a group of skateboarders from a town, uh, Rockford, Illinois. And um, it, it, the film kind of tricks you into thinking it's going to be a film about skateboarding, but the reality it's about like, um, generational like abuse like mm -hmm. uh, masculinity like all these different th topics of through the lens of these three kids um 
that all knew each other through skateboarding. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's hard to fully explain. No, no, that's, that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really beautiful documentary. And the, the guy who made it, Bing Lu, um, he is one of the characters in it. He, he tells the story of how, you know, he knows these kids from the skate park, but as it goes in through the film, you realize that his stepfather was incredibly abusive to him and physically hurt him and his brother and his, his mother. Um, and he, the guy had passed away and in the film he he's confronting his mom about this stuff towards the end it's like it's really intense it, mark wow. have you ever seen it i have not and oh, uh, yeah. it's on my list now because of yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so i haven't seen it yet that's awesome it's um yeah it's one of my favorite documentaries it came out in 2018 and actually it was uh, nominated for an oscar um so it it, it sounds got, familiar but yeah, yeah. I, I have not seen that yet oh great yeah. And that's one of the things Mark and I do is pass documentaries back <laughs> and forth. Them. If you have a chance, uh, it's one of the episodes of it's on Netflix and I can't remember the the series name, but one of the episodes is called Listening to Kenny G. Okay. <laughs> and it is just about Kenny G, the, sac- the saxophonist or whatever. And a 21 year old that I know actually told me about this, which kind of blew me away because it's like you never know intergenerationally who's going to be known like yeah. for anything. And and so he told me about it. And I was like, well, that's weird. And so I went home and watched it. And it is fascinating. And because really? they have like jazz enthusiasts talking about his music and then him talking about music. And like he still, Kenny G practices like two to three hours a day and just like runs through his scales. And like, <laughs> it's so it's interesting to look at his work ethic and his, it's just, it was a shockingly fascinating <laughs> documentary that's about awesome. Kenny G. So <laughs> that's my favorite kind of documentary where like you, there's a person you think, you know, who oh, they yeah. are, and then you yeah. see them from a totally different perspective. I love that. Right. Right. Have, Which again, guys... just brings us back to Madonna's truth or dare. <laughs> Every episode we come back to. <laughs> I think I think you kind of steer us there. I don't know. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> oh, that's I've, funny. I felt that way about. Have you guys seen? I think it's called uh, "You Can't Kill David Arquette." No, no. It's about David Arquette uh, deciding to pursue a wrestling career. Okay, and it's really a great documentary, and you know he's someone who you think you know who they are, and you see them, you know, in the spotlight. Yeah, uh, but the the story behind that is is really fascinating and he wow that that val kilmer documentary was similar to me right where and his was cool because he's had camcorders and video recorders since like the 80s recording all just kind of yeah documenting his life and that one is really fascinating yeah i haven't seen that yet but i I really want to yeah it's it's worth worth the viewing um cool well what do you what what's next for you what what kind of things are you working on or want to work on um, right now, I have a lot of um, projects going on, some uh, music videos and uh, some what's kind of cool is a lot of um, some nonprofits and brands have reached out to me about doing my mixed media style for their their brands or nonprofits. And mm-hmm. that's kind of cool to like they're not wanting me to fit into like some box of, of right. what they want me to make, but actually want me to do my thing. So. I'm doing a project right now with to write love on her arms. Do you guys know that nonprofit? Sounds I, familiar. I ha- I am not. It's a addiction recovery, suicide prevention, mm-hmm. mental health like oh, right, right, uh, right. nonprofit. They're really popular. Um, like during like the Warp Tour era, uh, like they they got popular from selling these shirts that said to write love on her arms. Okay, and um, it grew in popularity from there. And they're really big in the non nonprofit uh, mental health space. So they asked me to do a couple of videos for them. We just released the first one uh, a week or so ago. I'm going to release a couple more soon. And um, working on some music videos for some talented artists right now. A friend of mine, TK, the architect, and uh, this band, Tree River, I'm doing a couple of videos for. Um, but I really, I, I talking about with uh, the letters from the future with my friend Ronnie, I've been you know, thinking in my head for a while now that I, I really want to make a, a longer form documentary about mm. my friend, Ro- mm. my friend Ronnie and that letter and, and the, uh, how important it's been to my life over the last couple of years. So. That's great. I do have an, uh, another boomer question about yeah, TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so your, your videos, do you edit them and then like off, you know, on your own and then up, 
upload them to TikTok <laughs> or does TikTok have the functionalities to make the style like when Mark shared to make that style of video within the app? Cause I know they have a lot of editing tools, but yeah, no, I, I don't, the edit I do is mostly in final cut. Okay. Um, sometimes I, so I make most, almost all of my mixed media stuff in final cut, but sometimes I'll take, uh, I'll edit stuff in TikTok in that, like I'll take different videos I've made and put them together and maybe okay. do a, a different narration. Like I did this one video, um, basically telling people like, you should follow your own timeline. And uh, I used like a bunch of different random clips of mine, mixed media pieces. Uh, and it, it, it kind of blew up a little bit, which was really cool. Cause I, you know, I'm kind of, I, I try to be like almost the anti Gary V in that, like, you know, people talk about like, you gotta make, you know, two to four videos every day, three or six, like keep on doing stuff. Just make sure you keep up us put, posting stuff. Yeah. And like, I, I just was trying to be like, you don't need to do that. Like you're going to get burnt out if you do that. Um, and what was really weird about that video is like all these really huge um, TikTok people saw it like and commented on it, which was like oh, really wow. weird. It's it, like, it, I guess it validated something that they yeah. were struggling with. Like, you know, do you know like Zach King or Kyle Sheely? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. like these people that I follow and think are really great. And they were like commenting like, man, this, this really resonated with me. I think Zach King, Zach King is like, he started a long time ago and like this, the visual, I think yeah, I believe yeah. he used to go to my church, Oh really? <laughs> which is weird. So I noticed one day we had all these like weird mutual friends and they were all like church friends. And I was like, did he go here? They're like, Oh yeah, he grew up in this, you know, this area or whatever. It's like, Oh, no, no okay. <laughs> are you, are you both from Portland? Yeah. Originally? Yeah. Yeah, uh, um, not originally. Well, both of us are originally from Southern California and then oh, really? ended up meeting in, in Portland about 20, 22 years ago. Jesus. Uh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> a whole lifetime, a whole media landscape ago. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> a whole world ago. We were blown away by AIM, AIM Instant Messenger back when we met. <laughs> sure. We didn't have TikTok to think about. <laughs> Napster. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I did all those things as well. Oh, funny. <laughs> I'm not that young. <laughs> okay. You just look much younger than us, I guess. <laughs> or maybe it's just you're in the dark. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. It's fairly <laughs> darker. Um, yeah, how, how old would you guess I am? Get closer. You look a lot like Steve Zahn. Do you know who Steve Zahn is? <laughs> yes, I do know Steve okay. Zahn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say mid-30s. Okay, Mark, what, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I was going to say 37, 38. 33 <laughs> okay all right they're close yeah that range not bad you guys younger, still oddly young enough to know who steve zahn is so <laughs> wasn't he just in white lotus that was really oh good. totally oh that's true yeah he'll just always be balls. in reality bites to me yeah he's great in that too let me some ben stiller <laughs> oh yes oh, that's right that's <laughs> um so uh besides on your own timeline, do you have any other advice for other artists and up and comers and creatives? Yeah, I guess my best advice is to just make make stuff however you can. Like don't don't find don't limit yourself. Like I think with short films especially, people think you need to have a big production behind you. Mm -hmm. You need to have the right cameras, the right yep. audio. You need all these things. You know, there's all these hurdles you kind of put in front of yourself of like, I can't make things until I have a budget for my film. And I think like the best thing about the time we live in right now is like you could film on literally anything. An iPhone, you could film on totally. whatever you have. Just just make things. And like each each project, you'll learn more and more from it. And like... That's, I, I love looking back on the shorts I've made, you know, and some of them make me like kind of cringe, but I learned so much in doing them. And each project gets like, I get, I get the sense of what I'm trying to do. Um, and I think money sometimes like actually makes it harder to accomplish a project. I think like if you have like the pressure behind right. it, you're not going to make your best work. So like just make things because you're passionate about it. Well, that's great advice. Get your get your ten thousand steps in, both figuratively and literally. <laughs> yeah, get some exercise, <laughs> do something creative. Yeah, 
Totally. Um, That's great. Anything else you'd like to share? Any other projects or, or creatives that you'd like to call out or anything like that? Anything that we haven't discussed yet? Oh, man, that's it's hard. There's so many talented creators, I think, on TikTok right now that just impress me um, off the top of my head. Uh, Zach Dobson, I think, is a really great photographer. I don't know if you've seen his stuff before. Um, who? I feel like uh, there's just too many good people <laughs> making yeah, yeah. good stuff right now. Um, Where but, can people... Uh, find out more information about you. What's uh, yeah? Well, what is your t- what is your TikTok yeah, name? Yeah. <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know what the- <laughs> so uh, guitar. My my name is uh, Kyle. Make short films on there, and then also you can go to my website, which is kylerichardmccarthy.com. Okay, and my on Vimeo, film. it's uh, Kyle Richard McCarthy on there. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good, good. Well, it was fascinating to meet you. I'm, I'm so happy for your success and for oh, for that that your message, which I really resonate with. And it sounds like the longer we talk, the more the more I resonate with a lot of things that that you're saying. That that is also something that is uh, a, a successful, and that it's that there is a market for things that aren't bleak or shallow (laughs) or you know what I mean it's nice to have those things and you know but it's also nice to have the option to not have to watch (laughs) those things and I'm glad there are more people out there that are doing that and finding success at it so congrats on that oh thanks so much yeah this has been great and so do you know Dixie D'Amelio or is that (laughs) like are you in the hype house how does that work now what's Dixie (laughs) (laughs) D'Amelio That's the only two things I know about TikTok is like, she's, she's like the most famous person on TikTok and oh, really? there's a, a hype house where TikTokers live together and make content. <laughs> oh, no way. No. Sort of I, like Jake Paul's uh, team 10. I'm not in that realm. I can't even fake, fake my way through a TikTok conversation correctly. <laughs> I, I, I like, I was getting overwhelmed before, but I do want to say some other people that I should check out. Yeah. yeah my okay. wife. My wife's TikTok is really cool too. Uh, her name on there is Oh Bethany Joy, and um, she makes a, a lot of two D animation stuff too. I think is really cool. Um, and she makes a lot of stuff in Procreate. I don't know if you guys know that Indeed. that app, but um, her stuff is really cool. And then uh, my friend uh, Maria Pasmosa Creations. She um, I actually just made a little short video about her on my page about her uh, shirts are some of my favorite to wear. So. Yeah, those are some creators people should check out. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, Kyle, thanks for being with us today. And uh, we look forward to more uh, and have you back on the show to talk about the the next wave and the next evolution of art. Yeah, for sure. If once you guys watch Mind in the Gap, having me back on, I'll uh, love to talk. <laughs> we, about it. Oh, sweet. Perfect. <laughs> totally I, well, that's, that. I already have it on my plans for tonight. So cool. we'll see you tomorrow. we'll talk soon all right thank you take care